0: Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I'm your guide, Derek Hayes. Howdy, folks. Happy New Year to you all, and welcome to the latest installment. An episode packed to the gills with odd, eerie, and downright terrifying tales of the supernatural. And do I have a doozy for you this evening. So let's waste no time in getting started. So it's in California that we begin this evening with a call from Scott.
1: Hi, Derek. This is Scott calling from Central California. I'm calling because a recent submission reminded me of something similar that happened to me. On Season 11, Episode 5, John told a story about hearing a conversation while lying in bed. And this was somewhat similar to a very strange experience I had about 25 years ago. I used to work as a firefighter, and one night at the firehouse, I went to lay down in the dorm room. My captain was still in the day room, and I could faintly hear the TV he was watching. This fire station is famously haunted, and guys have had a lot of strange experiences here. Paranormal, lots of nightmares, even some possible UFO abduction-type dreams. But this was a -a one-of-a-kind incident, and I never heard a similar story from any of the other firefighters. As I lay there trying to fall asleep, I noticed that I could faintly hear what sounded like a war movie, except it was real. The more I listened, the harder I tuned in, I could hear the sounds of a battle. Now, I've watched hundreds of war movies in my lifetime, but this was different. This was intense. I could hear men yelling, men giving orders, bombs exploding, guns firing, men screaming, calling for their mothers, men swearing. I opened my eyes and I sat up and checked that I wasn't just hearing the TV from the day room. The battle sounds stopped and I could hear a sitcom playing on the TV that my captain was watching. I laid back down, closed my eyes, and immediately I heard the sounds of the battle again. It was so intense that I was shaking and sweating as the sounds of the carnage continued. The most realistic part of it was the voices. The fear and the anguish I heard was terrible and real. This is the one and only time this has ever happened to me. There was no other TV, nobody had a cell phone, and there wasn't a radio on. All the windows were closed, and the station isn't close to any houses where there could have been a TV on. I couldn't hear it when I sat up and listened, only when I lay down and focused. After a while, the sounds faded away, and I never heard it again.
0: Thanks for letting me share my story. Thank you, Scott. That is certainly odd. You know, just the other night, something... Similar happened to me. I could hear an electric beeping sound while I laid on my pillow. But when I get up to find the source, I simply couldn't hear it anymore. No, it's hardly paranormal, and it's hardly as unsettling as Scott's experience, but strange nonetheless. And as for Scott's story itself, you know anytime I think of reports of ghostly battle sounds, I instantly think of a video. In subsequent audio from that video, that my brother captured while visiting the Gettysburg battlefields back around 2005. Now, he brought along his Hi 8 video camera to capture images around the park. Now, it was upon review of some of that footage that he discovered fifes and drums, fifes and drums, standard sounds of any Civil War battlefield, mysteriously playing in the background. Now, he did not recall the sounds while recording, and he did not see a source. It was almost as if they magically appeared on the audio. Now, as it turns out, this is actually a common occurrence near Gettysburg, and I actually found a few statistics, courtesy of visitpa.com. Now, as it turns out, only about 10% of Gettysburg's ghost encounters have been visual, but nearly 70% reported have been auditory in nature. Footsteps, cannon fire, men cheering, and even odd whispers in the ear. Now unfortunately, I don't have the recording my brother made. But next time I'm back home, it's been years now, but I'll see if he still has the tape. I might be able to pull a sample or two out of it. But for anyone that knows the show, or more importantly knows me, you know I'm not going to leave you hanging. You want to hear that sound. So the following clip was pulled from a 12-minute video by YouTube user MB1554. Now to set the scene, her and her daughter were visiting the park when they heard these eerie sounds. Now despite a frantic search, which you can see throughout the entire video, no source to the fifes and drums were found. Here, take a listen. YouTube has no shortage of videos like these so go ahead and have a listen to a few more and if you do you might notice that many of the recordings were made around the same time of year the first week or so of July which coincidentally is also the week that the Battle of Gettysburg occurred and to make things even stranger I'm almost certain that my brother made his recording over the 4th of July weekend that year as well. So, does that mean that the veil is thinner on the anniversary of those unfortunate events, allowing the souls of some 50,000 dead soldiers to return? Or does, perhaps, the Independence Day celebrations in the park include pipes and drums? Thanks again, Scott, for calling in. Now, it's been some time since we've visited this subject... So here, to get us back on course, is Mariah out of the Show Me State.
2: Hi Derek, my name is Mariah and I have a mysterious big cat story for you. So for some backstory, I'm from Missouri and I went to college in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So I would often drive down I-55 through most of Mississippi. So this time it was late, and I was somewhere in southern Mississippi when I came upon this really large traffic jam. I'm not sure what the cause was, but it seemed like a wreck ahead since emergency lights were in the distance. I was running late, so I had no time to wait for this to clear up, so I turned onto a random gravel road off the interstate in hopes that I could go around the accident and get back on the interstate and a few miles down. Side note, I got lost in a dead end, and I ended up having to go back anyways. But while I was driving down the gravel road, trying to find a road back to the interstate, I saw an animal along the tree line beside the road. It had a slim body with a long tail. It seemed to stand about as tall as the hood of my compact car. What I remember most about it is its piercing eyes, and it had very large paws. As my headlights caught its fur, it also seemed to have large blotches of darker black, like large cheetah print, but it was all black. In everything I could research, it looks to be exactly like a black panther to me. And I've looked it up, and they aren't found in southern Mississippi, but I don't have any other answers to what it could have been. I have seen many large black dogs, and none of those come close to what I saw. I just don't have an answer for it. If you have some insight, I'd love to hear it. Thanks
0: thanks, Mariah. There's a new detail to this mystery. Spots. If you've ever looked closely at a big black cat, a melanistic leopard or jaguar, you'll notice that although they look pitch black at a distance, up close their spotted pattern remains, only in different shades of black, as opposed to the normal coat pattern. And that seems to be exactly what Mariah is describing here. And to me, that lends a certain amount of authenticity to Mariah's claims. A detail that checks out, if you will. But beyond that, your guess is as good as mine. I'd probably put my money on some sort of escaped pet. But regardless, thank you, Mariah, for taking the time to share. Now, if you have a story you would like to share on the show, a true story, please give the hotline a call at one eight 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 six zero eight night. That's one 608 6444 And don't forget, I'm still looking for tales from the clergy or tales from the cloth or religious stories or whatever you want to call that. Uh, be sure to call that in and use the word clergy in your first couple sentences so I can search it out. Now this next tale takes us to my boyhood home. Gress from Ohio. Take it away.
3: Hi, Derek. uh, This is Chris calling from Cincinnati. Born and raised here. Fellow Ohioan like you. Been listening for the last few weeks now. Friend of mine, Nathan, had to turn me on to it. Very, very cool podcast, by the way. Love Bigfoot. It's one of my favorites. So I was about 10 years old living in uh, Madison Place, which is an area, a little suburb in Cincinnati. And I lived on a hill. The street was called Vinewood, and I was looking out the front window of my house, which pretty much faced like a east ish area. And I was looking out the window, and I saw what looked like some type of craft. It was pretty far away, you know, probably two or three miles at least. And it was dropping what looked like light balls from the craft, it looked like an orb. Ish thing, and was dropping these light balls out of it. I don't know. It could have been military jumping out of a plane. It could have been. Uh, I don't know really. But if anybody you know, if anybody knows what it possibly could have been, I would. I would love to hear it. I just recently remembered the story not too long ago by listening to your podcast. It kind of jogged my memory. Bright Patterson is you know about sixty minutes or so, maybe a little longer north of Cincinnati, I don't don't know. That could have been some kind of military exercise up there, uh, but I can't think of any other military base that would be around that area. This was probably the early 1990s-ish, probably 1990, 1991, something like that. But if anybody knows of anything around that area that it could have been, if there's any, I haven't done really much research on what there's any sightings in that area around that time. And I haven't heard really too many sightings it happened in Cincinnati at all. But uh, that's a short one. Just thought I'd share. And I love your podcast, man. Keep up the good work. But uh,
0: thanks again. Goodbye. Thank you, Chris. And who day? Now, Chris brings up an interesting question What is Cincinnati's connection with UFOs, if any? Well, off the top of my head, I can think of a few first hand accounts, but nothing major involving the Queen City, which I suppose is. Sort of odd. There's no famous sightings, abductions, or essentially anything UFO-related. Except in 2018, there was a film released starring Gillian Anderson. That's about UFOs landing at the Cincinnati Airport, which ironically is in Covington, Kentucky. I put a link to the trailer up in the show notes, and I haven't even heard of this movie until today. So obviously, I haven't seen it. So view at your own risk. And in a weird twist, uh, MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network, just recently relocated its headquarters from California to Cincinnati, a location previously used as their headquarters before relocating years ago. So maybe they know something we don't. So there you go, Chris. There's at least something stirring around that pocket of the state. So be sure to let us know if which you saw seems to escalate. Now this next one actually comes to us from a friend of my wife's, from an area she and I have grown to know quite well. Alex, from the opposite corner of the state. The mic is yours.
4: Hello, this is Alex from Ohio, and I'm calling about a story that takes place in Helltown, which is a notoriously haunted area in Boston Township, Ohio, between Cleveland and Akron. It's part of the Cuyahoga Valley National Park, and it's very close to Boston Mills Ski Resort. I'd encourage your listeners to look up Helltown to learn about its reputation and its, frankly, sad history. For the purpose of the story, I need to set the stage a little bit, though. There's Many myths and urban legends about Helltown that date back to, I think, the 1970s. There's Crybaby Bridge, where if you stand late at night, you can supposedly hear a baby crying. There's an old church that's believed to be the site of satanic sacrifices and rituals. There's many old abandoned buildings and houses. There's an abandoned school bus. There's a cemetery on Main Street that's said to be haunted. It actually had a tree that grew into almost a perfect cross, which was really freaky. So generally, Helltown attracted a lot of people interested in paranormal activity, ghost hunters, photographers, all kinds of freaks just looking for thrills. Myself and a lot of teenagers would go there just to hang out, putz around, smoke and drink or use drugs or other unsavory teenager things. Uh, One of the roads in Helltown is called Stanford Road, but it's known as the end of the world. It's a narrow, hilly, curvy road that has a few houses at the beginning, and then a lodge for skiers and hikers. But after the lodge, it gets even more remote, narrow, and curvy, until you reach a very steep hill that goes up and down very suddenly. Like, if you go 20 miles an hour over this hill, you'll get air. Your tires will lift off the road for a second. After that hill, there's a barricade and the road is closed, so you have to turn around and go all the way back out the way you came in. So it's a very remote, just sort of spooky area. If you got out of the car and you walked down the abandoned road, you'd eventually get to an abandoned house, and if you went even further, you would end up at a waterfall called Brandywine Falls. The falls made this walk down the abandoned road pretty creepy with the sound of the water rushing down the creek. It often produced a lot of fog, especially on a warm summer night. There was distant howling of coyotes and owls and other wildlife. So people would park at the top of the hill and then walk towards the abandoned house and the waterfall. I've done it several times. I never experienced or know of anyone who experienced anything weird or paranormal before this night. On a summer night in 2004, at about 10 p.m., I was, at this time, 17, myself and three friends named Nick, Matt, and Zach were hanging out at my house. My friend Leah called and invited us to come over her house, and I accepted, but Nick, Zach, and Matt decided to go to Helltown. Only I knew that they were going to Helltown. So they went there and I went to Leah's house. They parked at the turnaround at the top of the end of the world, and they started walking down the hill. They had no flashlights or anything. They were just going there to walk around and mess around. No more than five minutes later, Matt's cell phone rang and he answered it. Nick and Zach kept walking ahead of him, but Matt stopped. Matt was heard asking things like, what, who are you, where are you, what is this? When Matt hung up the phone, he told Nick and Zach that they have to get the hell out of there. He said it was a young girl's voice crying for help, saying that there were spiders all over her. When asked where she was, her answer was, I'm in the center of town, which presumably is the creepy cemetery on Main Street in Helltown. The three guys started heading back to the car when, after no more than a minute or two, Matt's phone rang again. This time Nick answered, and he described it as, quote, Something talking backwards. I don't know what it was saying, but it sounded like something hissing, like a snake speaking English but backwards. It was the most horrific-sounding voice I've ever heard in my life. At that point, uh, all three of those guys were freaked out, and they started running back to the car and hauled ass out of there. They immediately suspected it was me, of course, because I was the only one who knew that they were in Helltown. So this is where I get involved. Leah and I were sitting outside in her backyard at her house smoking cigarettes as Matt's car pulled up and the three guys all jumped out. They immediately asked to use my cell phone, which I gave them. After a minute of looking through my phone and asking where I was that whole night, I told them, well, I was with you guys, and then I came right here. They were looking through my call history. They told Leah and I what just happened, and we responded with pretty much laughter and bewilderment suspecting them of making up this story to freak us out. But after a little while, it was apparent that they were genuinely terrified. So the next night, we all reconvened at my house to discuss and investigate what the hell happened the night before. We established that only me, Leah, and the three guys knew that they were going to Helltown. This was before any texting or social media, so no one broadcasted where they were. We also established that I could not have been the one to make the call The timeline just didn't add up. I would have still been driving to Leah's house by the time they received the first phone call. I spoke with all the people involved in this story today to get these details and quotes right. Everyone still vividly remembers that night. The three guys still, to this day, are freaked out about it. Leah and I are still 100% positive we had nothing to do with the phone calls. So I think there's really only four possibilities here that those three guys are lying, which I think is unlikely given that they're still freaked out 17 years later. It's possible that Leah and I are lying, which I know isn't the case. I guess it's possible that someone who was there in Helltown that night saw them and was somehow able to ascertain Matt's cell phone number and then make the calls. Although I don't really know how that's possible. And the last possibility, I suppose, is that there was truly an evil spirit at work. Thanks for listening. Let me know what you think. I'm new to this podcast, so please let me know if there are any other Helltown stories in any of the episodes. I'd be really interested to hear them. Take care. Bye.
0: Thanks, Alex. Helltown. The place, also known as Boston Mills, is only a couple miles from my mother-in-law's house. I've done some hiking there. A couple of best friends of ours were even married there. But Alex is right. The place is spooky. Especially at night. Especially when the low-lying fog rolls in. And it's also eerie because of its history, I suppose. What once was a pocket of a few small villages is now Cuyahoga Valley National Park a park created when the government forcibly bought out residents of the Boston Mills area. Then, in the mid-70s, folks left in droves, leaving houses, roads, and businesses to be swallowed up by the oaks, elms, and maples of the surrounding forests. A stigma has remained to this day, along with a laundry list of gruesome legends. A haunted bus, a crybaby bridge, human sacrifice and as discussed on an episode years back now, a gigantic python. But the detail that Alex mentioned about the strange girl on the phone in the cemetery, complaining about spiders crawling all over her, well, that's not the first time I've heard that. My sister-in-law, whom still lives in the area, once told me a story about one of her friends visiting that same cemetery only to find themselves completely covered in little black spiders. So go visit if you dare. I believe it's open to the public. And thank you, Alex, for taking the time to call. Do any of you have trouble sleeping? I certainly do. If I get four hours, I consider it a pretty good night. But I'm at least thankful that it's not the subject of this next call that's keeping me up at night. A call from Gavin in Virginia.
5: Hey, Derek. My name is Gavin Bauer, and I live in Halifax, Virginia. I'm 22 years old, and I'm calling in about a story that actually isn't something that I experienced, but it's something that my wife had experienced in 2015 in a town in Marshalltown, Iowa. 2015. Uh, me and my wife actually met in college uh, when we were freshmen a few years ago, and started dating when we were sophomores. And we actually got married when we were in our first semester as teachers at college. And this is a story that actually took my wife a while to tell me. We, she actually told me when we were dating, and it was just a really big deal for her to actually tell me this story because it was so traumatic for her, and even affects her to this day. But. In 2015, Ashley was, I think, 16 years old, and she was in Marshalltown, Iowa at the time, and she was in bed one night, and she said that she was awoken by something, and she doesn't really know why she woke up or what happened, but she can remember kind of taking her head up off the pillow and looking at the bottom of her bed and just right adjacent from her bed and her dresser. She said she saw the silhouette of a man standing at the end of her bed, and she was immediately kind of freaked out by it. She told me, and she said that her mom was really sick at the time, and so she wouldn't really sleep with her husband because she would be up all night tossing and turning in the bed and just wouldn't be able to get much sleep. So, she, I mean, she was terminally ill and would go out into the couch in the middle of the night just because she couldn't sleep and would just lay there because she didn't want to keep her husband up. But anyway so she called out for her mom because she thought that her mom was coming into her room to get a blanket or something. And this was around midnight 1 o'clock in the morning somewhere around then and my wife Ashley just called out mom and then again said mom is that you? And then when the thing wasn't responding to her she finally for a third time said I'm just going to say mom one more time and if she doesn't respond I'm freaking out and so she said mom and then this thing whatever it was at the end of her bed, turned around very slowly, she said, and, and as it was turning, she said that she could see that it had a very elongated nose and a hood over its head. She could tell that it was that it had a hood over its head, and the thing was kind of holding the hood on its head with its hands kind of hunched over and just looked at my wife with these hollow black eyes. And she said that when that happened, she just absolutely lost it. I mean, she freaked out, and she said that her instinct was to just grab the comforter off her bed and just throw it onto this thing, or this man, or whatever it was. I mean, she thought that she was going to be killed or robbed or, I mean, as a woman. I mean, something worse. And she had no idea what this was going to be. And so she threw the blanket off her bed onto this being, and she told me that it took the form of in the the shape of the the silhouette of the man that she had seen at the end of her bed. And then not any sooner after that she had thrown the blanket onto it, she said it took the form of the, the man and then just hit the ground. And she ran off of her bedroom screaming to the top of her lungs. And then her father, of course, came into the room and was like, hey, what happened, what happened? And he is actually a pastor at a church, and he believes, and I believe too, we all believe, we are... We're Christians, and we see the world through a biblical worldview, and we believe what she saw was a demon that night. To this day, she is still very traumatized by the incident, and she still makes me go and check the whole house at nighttime before it's time for bed, and years have been to, you know, go around and lock all the doors. Anytime she hears the slightest noise in the house, it's my job to get up and go investigate and just very... Hyper aware of everything since that situation, and she mentioned to me, and her parents did too, that after her experience with this demon, she had actually spent several weeks sleeping with her parents in her parents' room because she was too afraid to sleep on her own. Uh, so this is how real it was for her. I don't believe that if it was a dream or anything of that nature, that she would have been this terrified. Because I mean, we've all had nightmares, but at 16 years old, you you have a pretty good idea of what things you are that you're seeing and i believe that she saw it and just the fact that she was so scared then to sleep with her parents as a 16 year old kind of baffled me and even now to still have paranoia about the situation it uh, kind of keeps me on edge too myself but anyway uh, there's just something really scary but yeah thank you so much for the podcast i just wanted to share this story with you um, have a good day
0: thanks gavin That's wildly terrifying. I have so many questions, none of which I'm sure Gavin or his wife have answers to. But I feel I should mention that the fact that the wife had just recently awoke during this encounter makes me suspect some sort of sleep paralysis. But I suppose that theory could be pretty much eliminated when she leapt from the bed and tossed the covers over the entity. So at the very least... Let's rule that out. Otherwise, Gavin... I don't know what to tell you, But Shadow person. Ghost. Possibly even alien abduction. Whatever the hell it was. Let's just hope it never returns. Thanks again for sharing your wife's story. Now, do you have a Monsters Among Us hat, shirt, or bag? Do you have a men poster on your wall? If the answer is no... Well, simply ask, why not? You can pick up all these things, plus much more, by visiting our merchandise store at monstersamonguspodcast.com forward slash shop. Now, all purchases directly fund this program and keep us running smoothly week to week. So from all of us here, thank you for the support. Now, look up in the sky. Is it a bird? A plane? a UFO, maybe even Mothman. To fill us in, please welcome our anonymous caller from Alberta, Canada, to the program.
6: Hey there. I'm calling in from Alberta, Canada, uh, and I'm from central northern Alberta, so a little bit further up north. And I had a sighting a couple days ago. I believe it could have been a UFO I could not determine what it was. And uh, just as a little bit of background, I have a Bachelor of Science degree and am trained in physics and astronomy. So I went out for a walk, and it was pretty nice outside, pretty clear, no clouds at all. I watched the sunset, had a nice brand-new moon, small little crescent in the west. And so I was watching that, watching the stars pop up, There's a a couple small meteor showers happening right now. One of them is the virginid meteor showers. So as I was swinging back on my way home facing the east, uh, I was watching for some meteors. And I did see one. A nice big fireball. Nice smooth, slow ascent. Big, bright burst of yellow light. That was nice. So I kept looking. And just so you know, this is pretty much due east. Pretty low on the horizon. And then I looked up as I was kind of walking up a little bit of a hill and I noticed there was an extra star in the Big Dipper along the top of the bucket. There's a couple really bright stars and there was a third one. And it took me less than a second to realize that it's not a star, of course. Maybe it's a meteor. It did not look like a meteor, but I would just chalk it up to be either a meteor satellite, maybe. I went and took a look, and there was no plan for the ISS to have come overhead anytime time in the recent hours that I was out. So I don't think it was the International Space Station, although that can be very bright. This was very, very bright light, very high in the sky, but I can't figure out what it was. So I was a little bit interested, a little bit curious after I saw that. And it was moving north, which is another, if it's a satellite, that's a little odd. Just a little odd. But it could have been a meteor, just maybe a very slow moving meteor. It did just eventually disappear as it was moving north. So that kind of caught my attention, and I just kept looking up at the sky, trying not to trip over my feet. So every couple seconds, looking back up, see if I could see anything else. It was just so clear. And I live in a small town, so it's quite dark. And then I was close to home, thankfully, at this point. But... I looked up again and something flew overhead and it wasn't illuminated at all. So I barely saw it. And the only reason I think I saw it was because I had adjusted my eyes already, looking at the sky so much. So whatever this thing was, it wasn't that high up. It was pretty close to the ground, maybe about the size of a regular plane. But it was pretty low, I think. The only thing I reason I noticed this thing moving over me was because on each side there were like mirror images of v's so there was like a v shape moving north with the point of the v moving toward the north and then on the other side of this object with another v but it was like inverted facing south so the v's were like light gray and it almost looked like light was kind of glinting off of them from the moon the very low amount of moonlight that we had. And at first I thought maybe these are birds. Just the shape of them made me think these could be birds. But these were not moving like birds' wings would move. They weren't flapping. I feel that if these were birds, they would have been close enough for me to see more detail. But beyond that, there was actually something connecting them together. And I could see that just because it was just so dark. Whatever it was, was black. It was like the body of something. It's kind of like looking at the moon when the moon is just a little bit illuminated as if it were that night with just a small crescent. And you can see the black part of the moon against the sky. So that was sort of what I saw. And I don't know what it was. It was silent. It was moving very quickly. And it was moving north. This happened April fifteenth, twenty 2021, and it would have been around 2210 local time. So that's my sighting, and I'm really curious to know if anybody else has seen something in this shape, or if anybody has any information about what this might be, I'd love to hear about it. Thanks a lot. Keep up the great work. Bye.
0: Thanks, Scholar. My first guess was also a bird of some sort, possibly something very large, like the infamous Sandhill Crane. Now, I promise you, there are listeners right now rolling their eyes, because some famous skeptics, who are equally as narrow-minded as their extreme counterparts, insist that creatures like the Mothman are simply sandhill cranes encountered in the dark. Now, I'm not going to name these skeptics, but I will say that in this instance, I think the crane is actually a good fit. The shape of the animal flying is similar to the description given in the call. The birds are massive and can be easily seen from the ground, possibly even at night if the light pollution allows. And most importantly, they fly through that part of the continent several times a year, migrating to various spots throughout the seasons. So a lot less interesting, but certainly a very likely candidate for what you saw, Collar. But in reality, only you can tell us if that's correct. And if you'd like to check it out, I've included a photo of a flying sandhill crane in the show notes. So go take a look and tell me what you think. Do we have a match? Thanks again, caller, for submitting. Now folks, tomorrow marks the return of our brand new YouTube program, Para Weekly. I took a week off over the holidays and we're finally getting back into it. Now we have tons of paranormal news to cover evidence to review, and even some super spooky viewer-submitted videos to watch. So be sure to tune in to youtube.com forward slash paraweekly, Friday, January 7th, and I look forward to seeing you there. Now this next submitter you might just recognize. Please welcome friend, colleague, and researcher extraordinaire, Ronnie LeBlanc.
7: Hey guys, it's Ronnie LeBlanc from Expedition Bigfoot and Paranormal Con on Camera. Uh, this is the day after my wife and I had a multiple UFO sightings at our home. This has happened before quite a few times. So we walked out from our garage about 9.45 p.m., beautiful summer night, and there was a, a decent breeze kind of running through the air. And we were walking back to the house, and I looked up above the roof, and I saw a red and a green UFO, kind of, the best way I could describe it is almost like an orb, but continually shape-shifting and changing. And they were chasing after one another and going up and down in the sky so fast in the sense that it caught your eye, it looked like you were watching a movie like Star Wars.
5: It was the craziest
7: thing. So as they kind of moved away, my wife was working on getting her cell phone out to take some video. And the two UFOs kind of went behind some trees out of sight, completely silent, very low, tough to estimate, but lower than what a plane's altitude would be or at that altitude. And we could see planes as well, so there was definitely a distinction between the two. And then, as I've experienced before, when this happens, there's typically more UFOs that are following in that same trajectory or path. And sure enough, within 45 seconds, another single UFO came, And to me, these looked more alive uh, and organic, bioluminescent, glowing, increasing in intensity in the the light, but moving in such a way, uh, the best way I described it was almost like dolphins in the ocean, kind of very fluid and moving and changing and and spinning around. It, It was just this unbelievable display. That one went in the same direction. This was coming from east to west. And then there was a third one, and we filmed this on video. My wife did, and it does not do it justice whatsoever. It comes out as kind of white-colored, but it was definitely more greenish-hued. And so that was incredible, and it came again over the house, and we watched it fly by. Probably the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. I've had experiences since I was a kid, and believe it or not, there was some paranormal activity prior to this sighting where my wife was touched three times on her leg by something invisible and she described it as almost being like feeling like feathers or wings it was very soft touch but something tangible but that she couldn't see and she even said I feel like there's a presence in the room and she said "Fairies," which I thought was wild because the UFOs that we watched were flying almost like they had wings like angels or fairies but very large So it was just very insane, and my son, who's 10 years old, during the time of the sighting, he was inside the house, sensed a presence behind him when he heard our commotion outside, not knowing what was going on, but felt like there was somebody behind him. And he looked behind him, felt a presence, there was nothing there. So I just find it odd that the sighting happened right in front of the Big Dipper constellation, and someone from Facebook who lives in the area had claimed to have the same similar experience as sighting a couple of weeks ago from this area and another one from a town that's closer to Boston I had seen something similar. So, Leominster, Massachusetts, aka Monsterland, which two of my books are written about, place has UFOs, orbs, Bigfoot, part of the underground railroad, birthplace of Johnny Appleseed, old Native American land and a military base close by. All the ingredients of a portal of some sort because this stuff's been going on for hundreds of years and I think that we're going to start seeing an uptick of sightings and experiences from people. I just think that something big is coming. Thanks again. Ronnie LeBlanc from Expedition Bigfoot and Paranormal caught on camera.
0: If you want to send me that video, I'll happily post it up for everyone to see. But I get what you're saying. The camera hardly does the sighting justice. If you don't believe me, just go outside and try to take a picture of the moon with your iPhone. Talk about underwhelming. But it sounds like Ronnie's experience was anything but underwhelming. Dancing UFOs, red, green, flying through the air. But if I'm honest, it's those colors that might leave us a clue. You see, red and green are the colors of the standard operating lights on flying craft regulated by the FAA. Green on the right side, red on the left. Now using these colored lights, you can then coordinate and determine which direction an aircraft is traveling even if it's hovering in the air. So long story short, the colors described give me pause. Those are two of the most common colors you would expect to see in the sky, due to air traffic. But the action that Ronnie described, I'm not convinced that any conventional aircraft has that ability. So you never know, maybe someone out there listening was in Leermeister, Massachusetts that night, and saw... What Ronnie saw. If that's you, you know what to do. That number, once again, in case you missed it, is 1 888 608 A big thanks to Ronnie for thinking of us. Go check out his shows Paranormal Caught on Camera and Expedition Bigfoot. And of course, his books can be found on Amazon. Now I'm supposed to shoehorn in a Patreon announcement here, but you guys know the drill. It's patreon.com forward slash monsters among us podcast. Now, our final call of the evening takes us to southwest Pennsylvania, where Mike has a story waiting for us.
8: Hi, Derek. My name is Mike. I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And my story's probably one of the most terrifying experiences I've had. I was hiking with a friend of mine south of Pittsburgh, a little town called California. There's a lot of woods down there. It's a mining town, so there's abandoned mines, caves, things like that scattered about. We're in an area, locals call it Hood's Hollow. Now, I'm skeptical when it comes to cryptids, but also if I see proof or evidence, obviously I have no choice to believe that. Now, supposedly there have been like Bigfoot and or Sasquatch sightings in this area of so the 70s. Now, my friend and I frequented these woods a lot. We hiked a lot back there. Never noticed anything strange. Well, one day we started going further in than we had ever gone before. Now, we're miles in here. I mean, we were on ATVs and it probably took us half hour to get to the location we were at. And we get there and I hear a, like a like a tree knock. You know, like a Almost somebody hitting a tree with baseball, that kind of sound. Now, I was 17 at the time. It was summer. I'm 21 now, so this was years ago. And me being me, I, you know, was just joking around. I was like, oh, it must be a Bigfoot. So I grabbed a big stick and hit a tree. And I heard the knock again coming from into the woods. So I knocked again. And I heard the knock once more from in the woods. At this point, I'm I'm convinced that there's somebody else out there messing with us. Now, we decided to sit there and wait a few minutes and stop knocking to see, you know, if maybe this was just the wind blowing a tree branch and hitting another tree or something like that. So we sat there for about 30 minutes and didn't make a sound, didn't hear this knock again. So then I knocked on the tree and I heard the knock again. At this point, we were thoroughly creeped out. So we ride the ATVs back to where we came in and got some more equipment, you know, binoculars, radios, cameras, things like that, because at this point we're convinced there's something out there. So we go all the way back in. We leave the ATVs further back this time just to not scare anything that might be in there. And we start walking into this ravine almost. And I've hunted all of my life, so I can track relatively well. You know, see signs of things moving through an area, and I notice a lot of low branches are broken. So something definitely was moving through here. Now there's no ATV tracks from anyone else. Like you can tell, like people have not been back here for quite some time. And I look down and I see bare footprints. They look like human footprints. I wear a size 11 shoe, and my boot fit inside this footprint. So. If it's a human, it's a very, very large human for their bare footprint to be larger than my size 11 boot. So, naturally, I start following these tracks. And they keep getting more distinct the further I go. And eventually, I see that they are leading to a cave. So, I'm probably 150 meters away from the mouth of this cave. My friend that I was with is standing there with me, and we're trying to decide if we're brave enough to go any closer. And I decided I needed to figure out what this is because my curiosity has been piqued at this point. I, I need to know. So I keep getting closer, and then I see a second set of footprints, but they're smaller, like, like a child almost. Again, bare footprints. We're miles and miles and miles deep into these woods, And there's no ATV tracks. There's no roads to go back there. The trails are probably barely passable with a donkey. There's no reason somebody should be barefoot this far in the woods. So we start creeping up to this cave. And getting closer and see all these big flat rocks laid out. Now, there is no, like, body of water aside from, like, a spring here or there, even remotely close to this cave. And there's probably about two dozen fish, bluegill, laid out on this rock, like uh, they're being dried out to be preserved. And like I said, there's no body of water that supports fish anywhere close to here. There's no way they washed up to that spot. Like something intentionally set them there, very organized, at the mouth of this cave that has two sets of bare footprints leading directly to it. That freaked me out so bad. I've never gone back in those woods. On our way out from that trip, we tried knocks again and got nothing. We scoured around the area and found footprints on the surrounding hillsides here and there, more broken branches, things like that. Um, we never actually saw what made these footprints. They looked fresh, but like I said, we could never see or find anything my friend had set up trail cameras back there and every time he set them up they were knocked down like something took them off of the trees and just set them at the base of the tree with the camera facing the ground it was just a very eerie experience and both of us refused to go back in those woods anymore thanks for listening really enjoyed the podcast and i hope you have a wonderful day
0: thanks mike Now let's begin with a little more backstory on the region Mike is calling from. Locals refer to parts of southwest Pennsylvania as the Chestnut Ridge. The location of Mike's encounter is near, if not directly in that region. Now the place is infamous for all sorts of strange activity. But more on that here in a minute. Let's start with the footprints Mike said he found. First off... Mike, you committed the cardinal sin of bigfooting. You didn't get a photo. I would have loved to have seen a pic or video of those tracks, but I suppose I'll forgive you. But in all seriousness, I grew up not too far from this area, and I concur with Mike. It's not the type of terrain you want to be barefoot in. That doesn't mean that it can't be done. Any fans of the old survival show, Dual Survival, might remember host Cody Lundin, That dude never wore shoes, not even in the snow. So, it could be done. But you might be asking yourself, what's the difference between a human footprint and a Bigfoot track? Well, since we just heard from a real-life Bigfoot hunter, let's see what his opinions are on the subject. But with Bigfoot prints,
7: typically the length of the print the width is half that length. So that one was five and a half inches across. It actually fit these dimensions that they look at with foots. And if you look at yours, it doesn't do that. Like I'm 10, it's maybe three inches across or whatever. So, and the, the reason scientifically why it would be wider, the foot is to handle the weight of the creature. So if it's, 500 pounds it needs to have stable footing to do that and so that tells you that this has to be maybe a creature that's bigger
0: so I suppose only Mike knows uh, why these tracks were and by the way that clip was courtesy of Telegram and Gazette so wood knocks and footprints it's pretty par for the Bigfoot course I'd say but that's when things get a little weird the fish Though I'd never heard of anyone finding anything like that in conjunction with Sasquatch activity. And it would almost be a downright unbelievable detail, if not for the fact that it took place on the Chestnut Ridge. As I stated a few moments ago, that place is known for all sorts of strange activity. UFOs, Bigfoot, Dogman. And that's even where the Kecksburg UFO crash occurred in the 60s. Now this is clearly a place with some paranormal punch and to expound on the strange happenings here is a local researcher to the area and a paranormal legend mr stan gordon
9: but as these events of 1973 are coming to our attention we began to see some unusual patterns for example we would have a ufo sighting in a certain area within minutes to hours or days later we would have a bigfoot sighting or vice versa and then the reports got even stranger. That's when we began to have reports with UFOs and Bigfoot seen together at the same time and place. As reports were unfolding during that time, some of the stranger reports began to come to our attention. One case, September 27, 1973. This was out in an area where two women were waiting for a friend to pick them up. Suddenly they see this huge, seven to eight foot tall, huge man-like creature with white hair running across the road towards the woods. Strangely enough, in one of its hands, it had a glowing ball of light. It runs off into the woods. And a short time later, this object comes across the sky, projects a beam of light down into the woods where the creature ran into. So these reports were getting very odd.
0: Now that clip was courtesy of the small town monsters flick, Invasion on Chestnut Ridge. Now I've included a link to the full documentary that you can watch for free. And I highly recommend it. Find that over in the show notes. So, as you just heard, things have a tendency to get strange on the ridge. And Mike's fish discovery seems to fit right in. So go ahead and add the ridge to your list of window areas. As Mike can attest, there's certainly something odd taking place there. Thank you again, Mike, for calling in. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Addie Lloyd. All media used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And keep the party rolling by following us on social media. We have accounts at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And I don't know if this matters to anyone, but most every episode is available on YouTube as well if you're in your living room and you want to hear the show. It's a quick and easy way to do it. Oh, and if you could, please leave a rate and review wherever possible. Apple iTunes is a great location, and I heard you can at least leave a rating over at Spotify now. So any of those would be appreciated. And finally, the music you heard on tonight's episode was provided by Co.ag Music, Iron Cthulhu Apocalypse, and Carl Casey. At White Bad Audio. Thank you so much for listening. Have a Happy New Year, and until next week. Tonight's secret entry is where nightmares are made. Please welcome James to the program.
10: Hey Derek, this is James. This story, I'm not sure if it's paranormal, but I'm also not sure that it's not paranormal. It is creepy though. It was creepy when it happened. And looking back on it, remembering it, it still is creepy. Around 2008, I want to say it was. I was uh, living in Phoenix, Arizona at the time. Me and my cousin uh, were sharing an apartment together. And one weekend, we were going to go take a trip with a a friend of his who uh, was Native American. And we were going to go drive up to New Mexico. And we were going to go over to visit some relatives of my cousin's friend. But we were just going to stay there one night. And from there, we were going to drive out even further or be dropped off and go have a camping trip for a night. So well, anyways, from the original drive leaving our apartment from Arizona up to New Mexico, late at night when we were in New Mexico, we were on a long stretch of highway at one point and there was no street lights, there was no houses or businesses or gas stations. It was just dark. The only light there was was from the headlights and it was just like corn stalks alongside the road, pretty much right as far as you could see at the time. and. When we were driving, all of a sudden, moments before we passed them in the light of the headlights, a guy stepped out of the corn into the headlights, and uh, it just happened so quickly in an instant. We were all just like, oh my God, did you see that? And in the rearview mirrors or out the back window, you couldn't see nothing because it was just total darkness. Like I said, it was just a long stretch of highway, so I really don't know. If it was a ghost, then that You know, if it was an apparition, a full-body apparition, and it was just completely solid. I mean, it looked like a normal, regular guy stepping out. And if it was a regular guy stepping out, that's creepy too, because, you know, we're all just like, what is this guy doing out here in the middle of nowhere in a cornfield and just stepping out of the corn right as we're driving by? And I don't remember if he looked at us or if he was looking straight ahead, because like I said, almost as soon as we saw him, we were driving by him because he just so quick like we only saw him for like a couple seconds i sort of feel like he was just looking straight ahead but again i don't know if that's paranormal or not it was was creepy love the podcast there bye
0: you know what i always say about the living they're far more terrifying than the dead. and i think in this instance james you gotta almost hope that that was a ghost whatever it was we thank you for the submission And thank you for sticking around to the end of the program. Have yourself a good night.